Sound like I'm like Turner, I'm hustle Batman. Two words for any nigga, fuck with my money, dead man. Welcome to Dark Crowd Radio. Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, your inner criminal. And get your head Covering, I think, my yeah. school. <laughs> yeah, I think we're recovering. Hangover part three. I'm just tired. I feel like I'm finally getting the uh, moisture that my body has been so desperately craving for the past uh, five or six days now. You need you need some electrolytes, man. Yeah. yeah. Coconut water. I mean, smashing them fucking Gatorades and orange juices and shit. Yeah, yeah. Love, love juice. Um, I've been um, out of chicken water, trying to chill. I took a long, nice nap right before the stream. Just you need to get a lot of salt as well. It's really counterintuitive, but you need a lot of salt. <laughs> uh, and let, I'll just let you know, I'm salty as fuck, so. <laughs> yeah, jump into IRC and get my daily dose. Um, but yeah, so uh, how's everybody doing since um, DEFCON? That was the last time we all talked. Rough, man. I still didn't go to work today. Did you guys ever find hookers on the strip? To talk well, to? Um, we didn't uh, particularly find them, but we found their calling cards, and we were trying to uncover the mysteries of them in a late-night um, impromptu meetup on Saturday where we uh, walked around and we were in search of the elusive... But not actually elusive uh, business cards for um, company. We, we just happened to be out too late. No, yeah. I think we had. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. They ha- they they have uh, babies to go home to. That was uh, was one of the excuses we got. Yeah, I mean, I was more interested in just understanding the the sort of dynamic of how how the like because we were we're tipped off. Actually, Hermit noticed this with. With the numbers and the websites for all of the advertisements, and all of them are different, and some of them are landlines. We were using the bots in this Discord to, um, to you know, do caller ID and see who the carrier was, and some of the numbers for these like um, services were, were landlines. Some of them are Twilio, and uh, the website. There's a, a different website on each person, and so it was just it was massive infrastructure. Coming from a country where prostitution has been legalized and and is fine, absolutely fine. Um, for a long time, it's really strange going somewhere like Vegas where people have to have all these middlemen and clandestine kind of 
tricks. It's really, I really bizarre. like the uh, the Asian lady who uh, leant over to you and whispered in his ear, like, I can... Was it something about massage parlors? Yeah, they kind of were tipping off the real other CD underbelly. I mean, I've only ever really been to Vegas, like, once before, and I don't really understand. I'm, too, I'm like a, I'm an innocent small-town boy, and I'm not... Well, used- if you guys... I mean, you, you can fire automatic weapons, but you can't have sex with somebody. That's really strange. I mean, it's... You, there's a too many middlemen in your system. I think this yeah. is a, an industry that's ripe for disruption, to put on my, my blockchain crypto hat. Uh, Yep. Yeah. All right. You don't need all those black guys on the street handing out cards and like taking a cut and stuff. You don't need any of that. Yeah, I mean, it was just interesting to see the uh, infrastructure that was in place for that, um, with all the numbers and everything. I, I asked if they had any hacker themed uh, people, and they hung up on me. So I was very disappointed. Uh, but I, I got directly approached at least once. So what about that? Um, oh, actually, one thing I noticed this year that is I noticed every other DefCon is that um. Sorry, uh, the, 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 I didn't notice this year that I noticed every other DEFCON. There's always dudes walking through the crowd real quick, and they'll be like, kush, kush, coke, kush. And, like, you you know, if you want to buy it, like, by the time you turn around, they're gone. And um, this year, like, nobody was, like, obviously no one's selling dope, like, no one's selling weed because um, you can buy it at the shop. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, there wasn't that many people trying to, like, sell me drugs this year. Yeah, that's um, that's good. I think. I was yeah. well. not, not sure about you guys, but someone actually tried to hook me up, and it was kind of obvious that it was kind of a little bit of a controlled um, environment <laughs> where the dealers were. Yeah, you have to be very careful in Vegas. Very, very good. Now, I shouldn't worry too much about the strip. There's too many eyeballs on that. And it'd be kind of actually counterintuitive to actually do stupid crimes like that and get caught because that would actually ruin their, uh, their ventures and yeah, crime later. Yeah. But anything off the strip? Oh, yeah, that's big game. Yeah, I, I, I got approached right on the on the floor of the, uh, of the of the casino. Just uh, you know, just some nice guy wondering if I needed some cocaine. Yeah, very very convenient when that happens. Uh, it makes me very suspicious because I'm a very paranoid kind of person. Um, yeah, I immediately I immediately think it's like an intel agency trying to trap me in some way. Well, if they're going to give me coke and they're going to give it to me for free. No, I'm just playing. I don't do drugs. So what do you guys think about, I was actually very interested in all the uh, the rooted or bricked slot machines that were everywhere. I'm not sure how normal that is for Vegas, but there was quite a lot and it was interesting to see. Um, I saw some tweets, specifically the ones in the, uh, there was a series of four that we walked, we stopped past at, uh, at the Flamingo. And um, they were, remember right at the end, there was like four of them. Um, and some guy or some Twitter account had like attributed that to, to their hacking, I guess. But I, it really just seems like they were, uh, they didn't boot properly or something. I'm not sure. I didn't, like I took a photo of maybe four or five blue screens this year only, which is less than usual. Well, is there anything else that anybody wants to share about their experience? I just partied the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Literally didn't go to like any talks. I showed up for like the first day and it was weak. And then there weren't really any talks I wanted to go to. So I just stayed out and partied all night till like 5, five 6 a.m. It was, uh, I mean, if anyone hasn't seen the Thug Crowd Twitter account and you want to know how to Thug Crowd Twitter, you'll find a, a photo of uh, some people with a uh, with a wheelchair. 
having to to wheel a, a thug around. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, interesting times too. Yeah, we actually that was a cool um, stream that we did. I'm glad that we got to do it, even though it was very haphazard and it went from having a, a laptop with our uh, OBS and you know nice uh, VPN travel router to like a, a cell phone, and it somehow worked. Yeah, so like uh, just to. We didn't really cover it on the, on the time, I think, but what basically what happened was the hotel internet just like went down, and we were cabled to the hotel, so it, was, it wasn't like we were getting de-authed or anything. Um, the router was just like shitting itself, not getting an IP. It was just like the hotel internet. Somebody was fucking with it, and I mean, welcome to DefCon, I guess. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited for for future times to go and. Uh, Definitely know a lot more about what to do now. Um, met a lot of cool people, though. I'm glad to see there's people who are listening to our podcast that like, came out of nowhere. And we're like, hey, we like your show. And we're like, what? <laughs> yeah, so. shout out to uh, Dead Rabbit, head coach. Oh, yeah. All those people that hung out with us, too, on uh, Saturday. So, yeah. No, that was awesome. Um, yeah, anybody else do anything cool this weekend who didn't go to DEF CON? What did you do, Jen? That's classified. Hell yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he stayed at home playing with himself. No. Yep. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, tonight we're going to be talking to Cryptos, who is seeing here right now, um, who's done a bunch of really cool projects with radio and uh, just other general pen testing things. So he's going to tell us some, uh, about some of his projects, his uh, approach, and things that he's been working on. So that's awesome. So yeah, let's get into some of the news stories here, and I'll share this in the uh, chats um, real quick. So our show notes, right? Cool. Um, so yeah, the first one we have here, um, interesting, about the pacemaker um, hacks, which I had seen today. That I didn't really know that there was more um, there's additional pacemaker hacks besides like electromechanical hacks and magnets and EMP stuff, but um, there's people who are doing um, a chain of loans in some Medtronic uh, stuff that the in the infrastructure that Medtronic uses um, that they could control uh, pacemakers remotely. How remotely? Um, I think entirely remotely, because it's like, um, I guess whatever hub they're talking to is... Um, Talks to these, um, what's it called? Pacemakers. Um, people can, or people have figured out ways to freaking. Is it Bluetooth or Bluetooth BLE uh, no. to talk to the pacemaker? No, this was through. Um, this is through like the actual infrastructure of the Medtronic of the company who made the pacemaker. Yeah, but so how have... do they talk to the pacemaker inside the person's body? Oh, I didn't read that far. Yeah. <laughs> Go down that rabbit hole, Barnaby, and, and see what happens. Uh, Bluetooth low energy uh, is probably the way that it, that it communicates, and the security on that is not great by default. Nah, you, I mean, otherwise, with an Uber Fitbits too. wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah, you, you can grab an Ubertooth and a Bluetooth dongle, and uh, you basically like plug that shit in, um, and you set up a, a like a FIFO buffer. And then you open, and then you, you just dump everything with the utilities that come with like the Ubertooth 
into that FIFO, open it with Wireshark, and you're basically it's like looking same as looking at like Wi-Fi traffic or no, any network traffic. Um, and then like you yeah, you're just recording PCAPs of Bluetooth. So that's ten out of ten lols. Um, there's uh, some tools in Kali for like uh, cracking the the pass like the you know the mild crypto that comes with it too. I'm gonna assume that if it is BLE, it's like all the same shit. Yeah, yeah. BLE, it just works. It just works in court. Yeah. No, I, I see. There's there's so much to review in the past couple of days as far as um, new vulnerabilities that were released at Black Hat and DefCon. Specifically, the Black Hat stuff that I didn't even know about. Because this was one of them um, that I just threw on here in case anybody wanted to chat about it. Um, it's, it mentions in here as well the insulin pump stuff. That was something that uh, ZLZ has on his radar. So uh, I guess he's not not around, not back yet. Um, cool. So yeah, um, the next thing we have on here, um, which I was really interested in, um, was this Discord URI uh, exploitation. Um, so we were actually talking to Discord a little bit. Uh, you, 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 let me let me stop you real quick. Um, yeah. Someone someone needs to give uh, our our guest uh, the the author uh, stream rights so we can hop in here real quick. Oh, Rev. He's up in general. No, uh, Shay. Oh, Shay. Here, I'll move them in. They got Ross. One. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, that's um the uh the fact that they're not scanning uploads and you can just upload virus.exe on Discord and send it is a bit of a scary thing. Yeah, that's actually the first thing that we had found. And then when I saw this as a chained part of it, or as another part of it, completely separate from what we had looked at before, that's when I was like, whoa, we need to uh talk to these people because yeah, um the other day we had found somebody who had uploaded some what was it? Some like really old like reverse shell or something to like Discord via an image. It was like a what's it called? Like a Visual Basic script. Um, and then I was like, how does this get through the parsers? And then I realized that nothing, everything gets through the parsers. Everything gets through the parser. Yeah. I ended up putting like WannaCry and like Zeus and other stuff like in Discord, and they just was able it's to a do bit it. because whenever you're testing like a web application, it's part of the standard methodology. If you find somewhere where you can upload. Files. One of the first things you do is you upload the ICAR virus test to see if antivirus picks it up. That's like hacking 101, and they, they haven't even got that right. That scares me about everything else. I mean, yeah, you could you could definitely like we're talking about um, just throwing like shitloads of uh, vulnerable, uh, sorry, not vulnerable, sorry, shitloads of like just malware samples into Discord and making it just like a huge fucking mirror, and then just yeah. having it you know blacklisted, having the, all the domains is blacklisted on every CDN. Like having their CDN blacklisted by other CDNs. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that that was the interesting part to me is that if you can then host like even like a you know whatever sort of exploit you want just as on the Discord app CDN like you you can right now like you can yeah. you can host c99.php or um, you know whatever sort of crypto locker bullshit you want to have. It's actually better than Rodoc GitHub because it serves it with the correct headers. Yeah. Wow. Gross. Yep. So uh, Shay, Thanks. uh Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, so so you're the person who had wrote this? Yep. Okay. Oh yes, Shay Helm. Hi. So um Shay, I guess do you wanna tell us a little bit about what this um how you found this whole thing and what it means for everybody? Yeah, so basically uh, I started off with uh 
uh, I was on the uh, bug test or bug testers uh, Discord, like you know the official uh, Discord testers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was on there, and then someone had reported a uh, a bug about how you could actually up or post any URI you wanted, and it would actually open the MS dash settings. Like you wow. know that URI. Yeah. So basically, I saw that, and I was pretty interested. And I tried testing with other different URIs, and I tried calculator, and that worked. And then I tr started looking for different, uh, like URI exploits. And I looked up online, and I found a few posts. And there was one post about how you could actually use the uh, file URI to fetch a external resource. So I tried that out. It didn't work at first, but oh, then I'm gonna put my thing on here. But then I, I, I ran it to Fiddler, Fiddler, and then I saw that it actually did a few um, requests, such as the uh, prop find and options. And with that, I figured out that it needed WebDAV enabled on the server. So I did that, and then I right-clicked it, pressed open URL, and my Discord froze. So I thought I wasn't anywhere, right? I just yeah. thought it was like a, you know, a crash or something. So then I waited. And then all of a sudden, the file opened. And from then on, I started other files. Yeah, that's testing. really horrifying. So have you tried yeah. the, the standard ones? Like, you've tried file. Have you tried, like, Tell and Skype and other, yep. other yep. application handlers? Have you, yep. have, you tried it for, have you tried it for mobile with, uh, like, Android's, like, Intent URI? Uh, I haven't tried Android. I've only tried iOS. Oh. And with iOS, the none of them actually really work, except for the oh, Mail yeah. 2. Which can be able to find in Android. We should be able to see in the manifest file like the intents that it's uh, registering when you install yeah. it. You, you um, can launch other intents from it too. Actually, Shay, I posted in the Voices Voice channel something I did about mm -hmm. Snap and using URIs and Snap codes. Um, take a look yeah. at that. That's the other thing is the mobile stuff. Um, I was thinking about that too. This is like pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I tried this earlier today with uh, VBS uh, script. And that works. I, I guarantee we're we're shitting on somebody zero day just talking about this right now, but all good fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd, so, I'd definitely say like Electron apps though. Like we've we've been weary of Electron apps, and like we use Discord. But um, if you don't want to run Discord, that like there's a lib purple client for Biddleby, so you can use an IRC client. But then you have to use all the you get all the exploits in lib purple then. So yeah, well, well that's a that's a pretty good library, lib purple. <laughs> yeah. Go for it, gang. Use lib purple. So, Safe. Shay, have you, what have you done as far as disclosure? Have you talked to Discord? Yes, and that's the big part where I fi find Discord as a scummy company because yes. of the way they dealt with it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, their security teams like utter shit. Aren't they ignorant? Aren't they ignorant? They, yep. they're, they're very arrogant. They're very arrogant. A hundred percent. Hubris will be your downfall in this in this industry. I'm afraid. No matter how cool your application is, it only takes one bad boy to get pissed off, and it's all over. Hey, yeah. so um, so there's no, they don't have any bounty. There's no like, they didn't give you any. They do, but their guidelines are so vague that they can deny you at any point. Yeah. So no, Pad, Pad tried reporting us something to them, and they were fucking dicks. And then until he delivered, uh, but uh, they were this dicks. Is, this is where you just you give up on being uh being a good guy and just go, well, fuck it, mm -hmm. full disclosure. Let, we'll we'll let do. the pigs throw it to the pigs. See what the pigs do. 
Wow. So, uh, then they, they, they learn the hard way, unfortunately, and then they have to come crawling back later on and say, okay. There's a whole message thread. It's really embarrassing to them of Tad's communication with them. Yeah, this is, yeah, pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, is, do you have any other further testing that you're trying to do with other people that you're working with on this? Um, right now, I'm doing different tests, but I won't disclose them now. But okay. I found some pretty interesting stuff, and we're writing a paper on it right now with team or project insecurity at wow. insecurity on Twitter. Yep, that's cool. Yeah, so this is awesome. Um, yeah, thanks for, for sharing this and coming to talk with us because we saw this earlier today and we we're like, oh, damn. <laughs> because we, cause it, we also had uh, seen from earlier, like earlier this week or last week, about just arbitrary file upload as well. So it's Change. Uh, shout, out, shout out to Tavis if he's listening. Uh, dude, this is right up your alley. Destroy it, man. Tavis, <laughs> Discord, destroy it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, oh, cool. Um, so, DNC, if you are around um, and your computer actually loads this whole page, um, you want to talk a little bit about the Australian uh, Assistance and Access Bill? Um, I push the talk is my space bar, so my browser just fucking went nuts. Um, so uh, yeah, basically this is the uh, the new um, uh, bill that they're they're putting through all these amendments to existing bills where uh, existing acts where um, uh, there was a quote by the Prime Minister of Australia uh, sometime last year, I think it was. I don't know, Faith might remember, where he said. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull, quote, um, the laws of, of mathematics are not as important as the laws of Australia. Um, now, I don't know if he knows that, you know, how that exactly works, but there's all these amendments that are being made that are basically like um, in Australia, like you as an individual or a target, um, the different agencies, uh, so everywhere down to like state police right through to uh, internal uh, crime commissions, like you know, um, the the departments to do checks and balances on the other departments. Um, they're basically setting up a system where they can do targeted attacks against individuals lawfully um, to defeat uh, end-to-end encryption. Basically, um, now with this, there's a lot of there's a lot of caveats that they've put in here, but in reading it, the, the text is all very, very vague. So basically the gist is, um, in layman's terms, they, they say that they won't be using any backdoors, right? Um, and, and they're talking at a network level. Like, so it, within the telco system, they're saying, look, we're not going to man in the middle anyone. We're not going to do any of this stuff. But if you sort of read between the lines of what they're talking about, it, it looks a lot like, um, you know, that they can target devices, they can remove devices from your house without you knowing, they can replace them, they can plant shit in your house. I mean, that's not really anything new, I guess, like planting bugs in people's houses or people's workplaces, shit like that. Um, but it also includes, like, uh, you, you know, using exploits on people's devices um, because, yeah, they, they're, they're basically saying... Um, that they won't install any systems into the into the infrastructure that would compromise all the users, only the specific targets. Um, so the way I looked at that was like I, I kind of think that maybe um, we could we might see some infrastructure level stuff where certain targets might be like because right now, 
if you get, as far as I know with um, intercepts, it's basically like span port, right? So at some point your port is mirrored and the mirrored traffic goes off to the feds and they're like, oh shit, half of it's like encrypted, can't crack it, un unlucky. Um, and you are, there's a lot of fear tactics. Like if you read the link that's in our show notes, um, it's basically talking about, let me just quickly get to it. Uh, yeah, a high-risk sex offender was placed on a register for raping a 16-year-old female. Now, just just take that sentence. That has fucking nothing to do with encryption. Yeah. Um, he then served nine years and is monitored two incubations, blah, 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 blah. Okay, that has nothing to do with encryption. It goes on further to say that uh, he was then communicating with a number of females between 13 and 17 years of age. Um, it just makes people mad because it's children. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like marketing. Yeah, but see, at, at this point, um, I mean, like, there's, I mean, I, I believe the age of consent is 16, and like, but you have, as long as you're not like an old dude, there's like some cutoff limit. I mean, if you're going for 16 year olds, it's a bit weird anyway. But, um, so like, the way they've written this is like, they haven't chosen a good use case for like whether even explaining this bill at all. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so what they've what they would have done is they it, using their own example, this guy would have had his his traffic mirrored to another port, and then they've looked at it and gone like, oh, we can see that he's um, speaking with thirteen and, and seventeen year old girls, but uh, only on the platforms that are they would only be able to tell that on the platforms that are that are unencrypted. So what are they doing uh, with the encryption? Like what? Sorry, what is what is the this guy um, this registered sex offender? What is he doing? in his encrypted sessions. Um, and that's where I guess their argument comes in of now we need to be able to just target this one individual. So I can imagine that in the infrastructure level, they would put in something where they could potentially do downgrade attacks or, or something of the like where it's in the system, but it doesn't target the entire system based yeah. on the vagueness of their, um, of the writing in the, in the, in the documents. So, so this this kind of reminds me like the the sort of the targeting um, aspect that reminds me of the San Bernardino stuff too of like the oh can we do this for like one person not specifically asking a company but just thinking that for somehow that there would be some way to turn off encryption for one person and not everybody else. There, um, I mean, there is specifically a way you can do it for one person by mm -hmm. just reporting those prime numbers for like the Diffie Hellman key exchange on a single computer. So they, they could, if they really want to go after sex offenders specifically, they could say, okay, well, if you want a computer, then, you know, every time you your computer makes an SSL or a TLS connection, that those prime numbers get logged so we can retroactively go, go back and decode the traffic. They, well, they could do it, that. I mean, yeah, but they're talking about, like, installing... Um, I mean, it's basically as as what I read it, installing malicious software. So, and like installing. So, well, they say they won't be backdooring, as in they won't be backdooring the network. Is is appears to what they're saying. But when it comes to an individual's computer, um, they can install anything they want, basically, and then remove it. And as long as it's not found. And the, like, if the user does find it, the user can lawfully remove it as well. Like, that's the other crazy thing. That seems really like, you know, to, like getting on the endpoint is their goal. Um, along with, you know, but like I said, reading between the lines, it looks like that, well, yeah, still placing some things in the system without damaging the system. But 
it really like there's a lot of caveats in there as well such as um when a request is made to a telecoms provider uh for an intercept um there's this i can't remember the exact wording but it's like if if it was um if the telco provider like they can't be they can't be sued. There can't be a civil case against a telco provider if they make a mistake. So as long as the telco provider was doing an intercept as asked by the police or by the by the intelligence agencies, so um, like ASIO, AFP, local police, whoever, um, if they intercept the wrong person, that person can't then like there's no recourse for that person to say like, hey, I was like illegally intercepted or whatever. Because it was in like they had best intent, the ISP had best intentions in their, uh, in their you know efforts to get the right person. Like there's all these kind of weird things in there like that. Yeah, so, it's pretty scary. Like I don't I don't like it at all. How but, does it um, make it easier for like a bad actor to to gain that access? Um, I mean it doesn't really like if you're a bad I I guess like. One of the things I was discussing, uh, so uh, I was discussing with someone who's studying criminology as well at the moment, doing their masters in it, um, that uh, like with the different departments that are allowed to do this, it includes state police, and the, the there's a yeah, definition of who. It's easy to get access. Like the more that. The more easier that you make it or available to different law enforcement agencies, the easier it is for a criminal to have that same access. Right. My friend loves that shit. Yeah, exactly right. So, like, if you were, if you're inside an intelligence agency such as ASIS or ASIO, um, like, you can uh, put in a request to have it done through your specific person who's, you know, whatever in the agency. But they're probably more clued in to how the whole system works. Whereas the state police, it's like a police chief. Like, are you, hey, hey, chief, I'm just going to go down and get some donuts. And um, and can you just, like, intercept this fucking guy for me? Like, oh, yeah, 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 cool, whatever. I have no idea what that means. That sounds good. Like, you know, it, it just, that would definitely, if you were... Yeah, if you wanted to try and... Well, Sprint has a law enforcement portal that's regularly abused because it's available to, like, state police. For instance. Yeah. Exactly that, yeah. Um, the other part of this as well included uh, overseas intercepts, which is kind of a joke. So, like, um, we have a, a branch, just like you guys have, a, like, the Americans have a branch of, uh, of our intelligence that, that specifically deals with overseas issues. And then we have one that deals with, with stuff at home. And... Um, it's basically like they're like saying that they'll you know get intercepts on like in other countries and shit like that. It's like it's definitely not like that's extremely unlikely to happen. So in the use in the case where you have like say an Australian citizen who has uh, the latest Cisco or whatever with an IPsec tunnel to third world country um, and nothing on the exposed on the boundary. There's no like the only traffic coming out is like. Uh, uh, correctly configured IPsec tunnel. Um, it's basically like, oh yeah, we're going to ask the other country to help intercept. It's like the only thing they could possibly do is target the endpoint within Australia. There's like no, you know, either that or go on some full espionage shit. So they better be doing some like real crimes to like warrant spending all our tax money on that, right? That's all. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the end of the bill. That's it goes on. It's it's pretty um, 
yeah, it's pretty vague in a lot of places. It's pretty scary. I don't really like it, um, but I guess we're stuck with it now. Yeah. But no, it's, it to, it's to protect the children, right? So. Yeah, I'll think of the children. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty wild. I, mean, I definitely want to keep looking at how these kind of things play out because it's really important to see how it goes out around the world because a lot of countries just set precedents and when things start happening, it starts to tear down what available privacy there is left. Um, right, yeah. So with, uh, I guess, the next thing would be if with the with the international stuff, um, our agencies being part of Five Eyes, obviously, is, uh, yeah, UK, Canada, New Zealand. Probably New Zealand is our, you know, our closest um, sort of, you know, we're, we're the most like them, I guess. And then... Uh, just spread through like a like a disease through our private systems. Yep. Um, so yeah, speaking of more diseases spreading through the private systems, this one was really interesting. So it looks like the UK police have rolled their own mobile foot, uh, fingerprint scanners um, that they're going to be using for people to uh, get pulled over or whatever um, to just be able to scan, um, collect their biometric data and be able to check if they have any warrants or any other offenses or whatever. But they've made their own tool and app um, for this, and they're playing it. Haven't we figured out that fingerprints suck? Biometric fingerprint scanners are terrible? I mean, there's a lot of terrible aspects of this, but I mean, mean, the the thing that I'm always interested in is that they, they, they made this, like the the UK Metropolitan Police Service made their own tool for this and they're now just employing it. So it's interesting to see that a larger police organization would make something like this and then have it be deployed with their own database and be able to build it further. Regardless of whether or not it's a good system, it's interesting to see that this was something that was just developed in-house and is now being deployed. And You know it's going to be a bad system because I feel like mobile fingerprint scanners do much better job of proving that someone isn't somebody else than they do of proving who who they are, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, I don't know what kind of rigorous testing they must put this thing through, but it seems that, I mean, I don't know, it just it sucks that this is a thing and that there could be those errors that get you um, brought to jail or whatever. You know, just because of your fingerprint rather than any other sort of identification you might have. I mean, the problem, I think, like, so if a cop stops you, right, in the States and says, can I search your vehicle? You can you can gladly say no, and he can decide to get the, the dogs down. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can say you can say no. Right. Yeah, you, you can say no. Yeah, I get but I mean, like, you, you still got to do what you're told, though, or you're, uh, like, disrupting the peace and, and a whole bunch. You still have to do what you're told. Right, so you have you have the right to refuse. You're just probably going to get arrested. Yeah, but like, can you refuse to give over your fingerprints? Can you just like, cause I don't know. Like, I feel like uh, with I was talking to someone else about this earlier as well. Like, passcodes on your phone, right? Where you can unlock your phone with your your face, with your fucking fingerprints, whatever. Like, you can't refuse to look at like look at the phone. They just hold your face in place and put the phone in front of it, right? Like that's seems with the the deal with fingerprints is like they're just gonna force you like force the fingerprint rather than uh you know 
Dude, I, have, I, have, I have never used a fingerprint scanner device on any of my devices ever. It just seems like a bad idea. I've never done it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it just, to me, it's just another one of those things that is somebody has made a tool. They want to roll it out. It seems like a good idea based on the context they're trying to deploy it for. But as we know, for all these different sorts of things, people do not store data properly, do not parse information properly on the fly, and rely too heavily on the results that are passed to them by whatever sort of application they're using. So just another thing to keep in mind um, that I think is interesting that they developed some, their own thing and they're now, who knows if they're going to make it commercially available, you know? And like, is it going to stand up in court, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, they like it could. For all we know, like this could have been developed by like some beat cops, like thirteen year old kid. Oh yeah, I got a fingerprint library. I was plugging in this Android phone, and then like, like oh, roll this, roll this baby up. We got him. We got him now, son. Yeah. Yeah. They they won the bid. Yeah. It's I don't know. It's interesting to see, and um, I'm gonna keep looking out for more things like that. Um, the last news story that we have on here, um... My, my, my question about that fingerprint scanner, though, is what happens when the inevitable dumbass cop loses his phone? Does that mean that whoever has that phone now has access to that whole database? Hopefully. Like, yeah. that, that's, like, seriously a huge security flaw. I mean, you could, like, just steal the APK, you could, you know... Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, they, oh, the cop loses his phone. You just rip the APK and then you just, oh, well, I found this phone and it said property of the police department. You bring it back and nobody thinks anything of it. No, it's probably locked with his fingerprint, you know, so it's totally secure. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the point where um, there's that scene in Mr. Robot, spoilers, plug your ears if you haven't watched it. And if you haven't, you suck. Um, where Tyrell just goes and fucks that guy to, like, get to his phone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so um, uh, Matt Topper here in the YouTube chat says that um, police can force you to use your biometrics to open your device. But funny enough, Android 9 has the new fe a new feature called lockdown mode, which prevents, prevents accessing the phone using biometrics temporarily. Um, and Cryptos also shared a similar article. Wait, Wait they... He said that you can because I thought that they can't force you to do that. I thought they can like force that. you, but if you can launch your phone out from letting you do it, then you can too. Just another. Uh, Ooh, I want to see sighting on that, dude. I mean, it's like you know, the cops just. It's like at, at, at any point you have a choice. You can either do what the cops tell you to, or not. And if you don't do what the cops tell you to, you're going to get arrested. And I mean, if, you can, if you can afford to fight it in court and stand up for your, if you have enough money to stand up for your rights, then fucking do it. And you know, if you don't have money, you're gonna fucking sit in jail. But I'm a sovereign citizen. I don't have to roll down my window. You're a Canadian <laughs> girl. <laughs> this is America. Oh, yeah, no, this is America. Randy Marsh. Free man, free man on the land, traveling. You, you haven't made joinder. You you don't spell your name in all caps. What is this nonsense? Um, Turns out they don't care about that stuff. Cryptos, can you hear us? 
Yeah, can you hear me? Ah, yes, yes, yes again. Awesome. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, last news story that I have on here, but I have a couple of good reads, um, is the uh, so Microsoft apparently threatened to ban uh, Gab.ai um, for some offensive posts, and it's interesting. Um, following up what we talked about and the news about uh, Alex Jones being uh, taken off of Facebook and all the other different sites um, for his just violence or calls to action and violence against people uh, and just wild conspiracy theories. But it's interesting because we talked about this from the perspective of all of those different platforms are, um, you know, private businesses and they can do whatever they want with their business. I mean, they don't have to, they don't have to abide by the constitution, but um, the, so uh, Microsoft threatened to kick them off of Azure uh, clouds um, posting um, for with their content, and they're saying now that they are violating their free speech rights. I don't know if you guys saw this. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like feeling that Caesars is violating your free speech rights when you're in their casino, in their premises. Uh, start your own casino if you want to make your own rules. Same with hosting, yeah. same with everything. Wait, I mean, like, I mean, in, in large letters here, it's got, like, raising Jews as livestock. I mean... Yeah, that's some pretty out there. That's a, that's a pretty fucking. I think it's pretty interesting that over the years, out of all the horrible things Alex Jones has said in the two decades he's been doing this, uh, finally he he hitches his wagon to an actual sitting <laughs> president. He isn't automatically against everything that the president's doing, and that's when he gets taken out. Is when he actually agrees with somebody for a change. Yeah. Um, that's interesting to me. I, I I don't know. I don't understand what the the motive is behind it, but I su- I suspect it's it's bigger than just Alex running his mouth. Well, I think really. Oh, sorry. Can say, Jim? I say, do you think this is like a new trend that we can expect from everybody? Is to if they don't like what you're saying, they can just boot you. I mean, I honestly think so, mainly because of the concern I mean, for disinformation that is really running. That's what rampant. they do in China. That's what they do in other controlled. Uh, internet environments. Yeah, Russia, that, China. That's state controlled more so than private entity controlled. But with, I yeah, think. Do you want to make? Do you want to compare us to fucking China, really? Well, I they think blurred the lines a little bit because you know you've got Zuckerberg testifying in front of Congress. If he was untouchable and could do anything he wants with his platform, that wouldn't be happening. So. really, honestly. I mean, yeah. have any consequences to face for his actions at all. So, I mean, they're basically saying, hey, uh, do you know what you're doing? I mean, I, I think, though, the, the main thing that people, a lot of this is, is a reaction to the really, like, the, the escalating tensions um, regarding, like, basically, like, psyops that are being performed on people um, through, uh, you know, propaganda and really divisive things, and it's like, yeah, it sucks. It sucks that there has to come down to people squabbling over stuff like this because people have been running their mouths online, saying really crazy stuff since the internet has founded. So I think uh, Discord decided that that they didn't like our content and shut us down. Uh, I don't think we'd be fighting for our free speech rights. We'd all understand. We not. We would make our own. This is convenience. Mainly, same with Twitch and YouTube. 
And I, uh, I thought Gab would have had the same kind of mentality. That's just, oh, Microsoft is is letting us do this for now. If they change their mind, we go somewhere else, pick our business elsewhere. You know what I think is weird? Doesn't Alex Jones have his own his own website? Yeah, with a lot of traffic. Yeah. I, I suspect that uh, that just like you was getting at, I suspect there's a, there's another motivation here. Just a lot of these operations happen when there's a a groundswell to move and populate a new particular platform, just like what happened with Mastodon, Gab. I think, though, uh, as well, could, like... We, there could be, like, info infowartube.com could be launching two weeks from now, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think, though, um, the, a huge thing, like, so we've always had the mentality of, like, hey, you want to run your own IRC server where a bunch of uh, hackers talk about fucking shit that um, someone doesn't, you know, the network doesn't want you to talk about? You run, you rack a box up, like, you know, not anymore, but, you know, you used to rack a box up, and you put it on that, and now you got to, you do whatever the fuck you want. That's your playground. And then, you know, now you've got um, a different scenario where everyone's using cloud-based stuff. And, and based on, like, you know, if you're Mr. Alex Jones and you want to get fucking, uh, what are they called? Like, you, you want SEO points or whatever, then you have an Azure, like, an Azure IP or an AWS IP that's, you know, hosting your site. You get sort of treated a little bit differently on in the internet that you do is if you just have, like, a... Like single hosted boxes are no longer really the norm, I guess. When it, and so when it comes to hosting a service, like if you're cloud, you get the quote benefits of the cloud, um, which can include like SEO and and you know CDNs and all that kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, well, if you if you delegate authority um, in that way to the cloud, then then you delegated authority, right? It's just like with SSL. Um, yeah. Or IP range allocations for ICANN or whatever, or DNS itself. Um, if you step on the wrong toes, you know, yeah, yeah, you can get makes a phone call and so long IP space, so long DNS name, so long whatever. Yeah, yeah, your CIDR block is forever, never allowed to send email. Correct. Yeah, but I mean, no. understanding the playground that you're in, like uh, a lot of people get outraged to go, "Oh, dare they take away my website?" Who do you think? <laughs> who do you think controls the delegation of websites? It's been, it's not, it's not the guy that you you namecheap.com or wherever you bought the domain name from. No, there's a higher there's a higher authority. And um and if they decide you're you get off the internet, then you get taken off the internet. Um yeah. and that, understanding that reality of whose whose internet you're playing on right now, I think is very important in developing um as a as a hacker. Uh, but can't, can't he just host his own shit on um info? He already yeah of course he's done that for twenty years and He's been shut down hundreds of times. He's been banned from from YouTube and everything. So don't don't believe the hype. This time is a little bit more coordinated because he's been taken off Spotify and stuff. But years ago, he was he was banned multiple times, and he'd have to revert back to shortwave radio, the GCN network. It was its own infrastructure. Um, and he used to use this as a tool to self promote, saying, "We've been banned again because we're telling the truth. Of course, they're going to ban us." Yeah. Um, no, that's so, a, that's a chemicals yeah. in the water turn the frogs gay. Buy my Absolutely. supplements. This is so, I, I I have it. I have an honest question that's gonna kind of go a little bit off track. But was Alex Jones always this crazy? Yes. Okay. That's uh, probably worse. Worse. Far worse. In fact, uh, he he got fit. He got healthy. Probably because of his supplements. I don't know. But well, probably because um, his wife left him. Yeah, that too. Uh, let, let's not get let's not too ad hominem, Mr. AJ, because he's got he's got gangs. They'll come after us. But, Squads. 
of bringing this up was just to kind of mention the fact that there is another instance of a very large platform threatening um, hate speech, which is interesting. You got to take it either way if you want to, but it's definitely, as you said, Faith, you got to remember whose stuff you're playing on. Exactly. I mean, look at what happened to the Daily Stormer. Um, it was a kind of a, an absolutist kind of move. They were hidden behind Cloudflare for a long time. Yeah. And then eventually the king of the internet, whoever he happens to be, said, okay, no more Daily Stormer at all, anywhere. Um, yeah. And there was a coordinated effort. And now they're, as far as I know, they're hiding. So yeah, I don't think I mean, that'll happen to Alex Jones, but... Uh, he'll he'll be back because he's allowed to be back. I'm not saying he's controlled opposition or anything. I just think he's considered relatively harmless in the whole scheme of things. He is selling supplements. That's what he does. He appeals to to conspiracy folk, and he's very good at it. Um, yeah. Maybe this is just a timeout. Maybe it's just a timeout, just a slap to remind him. Just a little he's slap. Playing it. Um, yeah, a friendly little friendly little kick in the bum. <laughs> Um, so speaking of friendly little kicks in the bum, I have a good read that I kind of wanted to share real quick, and I hope you guys uh, may have seen this because I thought it was pretty cool. So um, this is an article about um, basically like eternal blue or facts. Um, so somebody has done uh, an exploit where they reverse engineered all this printer firmware, and they had figured out that there was bugs in the parser for images that were being sent, fact images. And um, by hiding a bunch of information in some of the tags in images, like the com marker, uh, DHT, stuff like that, um, they were able to trigger a buffer overflow and then be able to spread their payload through the network that the printer was attached to. Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, but I'm, I'm really surprised because I've always known printers to be ultra secure. Oh, right. definitely, I definitely don't use network printers as hops or to evade 802 on X, like nothing. Like, printers are very secure. <laughs> yeah. Was this a response to uh, HP opening up a, a bug bounty program? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, what is this printer again? Hold on. Because um, I, I know they just opened it up on, uh, I, I can't remember what platform, but they, they started a bug bounty program recently. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool to play around with, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I've looked. Uh, there's, uh, I, like, so these printers they were looking at were they just like the your standard sort of desktop printer, or were they like multifunctions? They were like all in ones, um, and they were trying it out with different types of of yeah. printers. So like the all in ones that I've tested previously have been uh, embedded Linux machines and like embedded Linux machines with like regular hard disks in them, like two hundred and fifty gig hard disks, four hundred gig hard disks, just like sitting in a printer. You know, touchscreen, the touchscreen has a browser. The browser's user agent is, like, some, you know, variation of Firefox um, or, you know, whatever, Gecko rendering engine. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of attack vectors on those multifunctions. Um, so opening up a bug bounty, I think, is going to be real interesting because uh, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, and, and most people don't update or patch them as they are, so... A uh, pu public service announcement too. If if you're upgrading your printer in your office and you got one of those big multifunction printers, 
and say you're like leasing it from a printing company, you've got the right to request the hard drive out of out of that printer just for security reasons, because that hard drive is full of information that you don't want it going to the dump or back to the depot or anywhere. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely interesting attack vectors. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like it was really just interesting to see the sort of um, approach that they took doing It's pretty cool. They have a detail later in there. Hey, there was something else I wanted to mention real quick that came out at DEF CON. Um, sure. Sorry, before we move on to our topic. Um, was, did you guys see, so I noticed this a while ago in OSX where when you load uh, a, a kernel extension, it's it's blocked through the privacy settings or whatever. And there's a, f a few things that are like this, and you don't have to um, enter your your password, like your pseudo password, mm -hmm. um, to load it. You just need to click. And so there's all this, like this is the allow button. There's all these uh, things coming out now where like simulated clicks are apparently back in fashion on the OSX desktop. Um, I don't know like why this is like. I, I thought it was a bit sketchy, like when I noticed it, but I didn't ever think about exploring it. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, this simulated clicks is now being called a zero day. And uh, it, yeah, hmm. have a look around. It's like if you know, I saw one earlier where Pages was requesting access to uh, contacts. Someone, I think, put, put that one in Discord. There's another one, um, you know, like loading, you know, any any kind of driver. If you load, say, uh, Divi or something, which is like a desktop, um, no, not Divi. Divi's a pretty bad example, but like something like Little Snitch, which is like a firewall or something like that. You know, you need to um, enter a password. But if you if you load, you know, other like system stuff, uh, you just have to click allow. So you could go out there and start start writing your payloads, guys. Well. Simulated clicks still live. I mean, don't do crime. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there's a ton of really interesting things that I've been still meaning to check out. Um, Defcon. I, I actually started reading that guide for the first time. Um, <laughs> all the different talks that I missed. Um, that was definitely one of them. A couple of different OSX things I'd seen as well. Um, oh, sweet. The last little good read. Um, you guys should check out too is the piping botnet that's what it's called um basically people had found a bunch of um hacks and irrigation and water systems which potentially like flood uh whole cities so pretty cool nice yeah it's awesome when uh that kind of stuff is just somehow running on some old windows xd machine or something I had some uh, really interesting conversations many years ago. I was in a DC. I met the guy who worked in the basement. And uh, in the basement, his job was to monitor mo like environmental controls for the data center. Um, mm -hmm. And we were, we were talking about some of the technologies used. And I guess to most electrical engineering people, this is like old news and I'm an idiot. But, um, you know, the difference with the, um, with the device being... You know, if, if you're measuring water pressure or something by voltage, like zero volts would not be like zero pressure. You know, that would be disconnected. Like you know, there has to be, yeah. So keep that in mind when you're like hacking on stuff. So if you're measuring between, you know, zero, like you know, zero and five, zero being disconnected and you know one being like for the lowest pressure. So, yeah. So this irrigation stuff, I'm sure, is uh, probably been in. 
places for a long time. Um, the IoT aspect is probably a nice add-on that they added at some point to to get to that XP machine. But yeah, it might have been run on something a whole lot older beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, that's our new segment. Um, I think that we should try to start a little bit early with you, Crypto, since you're already here. Um, so we're going to talk to you about just radio hacking, some of your projects and your approach to radio protocol hacking. And uh, not Pike, I definitely want you to talk to you if you have any things or questions to ask specifically, because um, you have a lot more experience with radio. I was actually really excited to see you at the um, the wireless village at DEF CON. You're ripping it up with your stuff, doing CTF and everything. Cool. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, uh, I didn't get the opportunity to go to DEF CON this year because I managed to convince my company to send me to a different part of Nevada, in this case, Henderson, Nevada, for the Nevada. radio convention. Nevada, not Nevada, Nevada. Nevada, Nevada, you say patata. <laughs> Shut up, I got all my best friends right now, and they're just yelling at you because we're all Nevada locals. Yeah, no shit, we actually eat tomatoes. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Crypto, so, uh, what you do and um, your background? So uh, a while back, I uh, started getting involved in this uh, hacker space called an allocated space in Maryland, uh, Southern Maryland to be exact. And I met a couple of people, got into doing penetration testing, and uh, landed my first job actually at Ponte Tech uh, over there in uh, financial sectors, um, you know, Fortune 500, hospitality, that kind of stuff, at, uh, consumer electronics. While I was there, I had a, I had a second job as a, I think often probably many of these people uh, in, the, in the chat channel have. But uh, while I was doing that, I was also working for this company called Department 13. It was a research company at the time, and we wanted to explore how to uh, use the protocols of wireless devices against. And the reason for that was because that's a lot harder to patch. It's a lot harder to patch that Mac layer than anything else. And one of the things that we did was, uh, you know, the obvious like Wi-Fi deauth attacks and stuff like that. But we also invested a little bit of money in doing stuff like Zigbee. Part of this, we actually ended up getting this uh, grant from JPL, Johns Hopkins, uh, to develop sort of like a white paper about, hey, how does that work? Like, how do these wireless protocols uh, get attacked? And we ended up starting a company because we demonstrated uh, drone hacking. Uh, at this thing, and suddenly every three-letter agency in the uh, <laughs> around the area decided to show up to this, and we demonstrated hacking a Parrot drone. And from there, we actually built this company called Department 13, and we started offering this counter-drone product. When I started getting really hot and heavy into doing radio uh, hacking, uh, became a, a killer bee contributor, uh, contributed a couple of exploits there, uh, but also started breaking down the protocols that these drones use, breaking down the protocols using software-defined radio, writing my own modems, and figuring out how to do stuff like quantize bits and, and actually make bit decisions and doing filtering and coming up with uh, you know, the actual packet from the file layer and then 
scripting and, and doing all the other stuff that are, is at the upper layers. Yeah. And okay. we found out that we could actually exploit drones and fly them around. So we made a product doing that. Is, and that's, that's kind of where I am now. Is your product similar to the drone strike product, which is an Australian product? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think it is, because not many products do what we do. There, there are some. If White Fox is a counter drone product that uh, utilizes what we call protocol manipulation in this case, and and anybody who's listening, you know, protocol manipulation would be a similar sort of path to doing like a deauthentication attack, where you, you forcefully it disconnect. Exactly. I've heard. I've heard the exact same story from from the guys here. So it sounds like they found the same path to a product that you guys have maybe not exactly the same but in the in the same ballpark but we do own the and patent on it <laughs> so <laughs> um and it's actually funny you mentioned uh australia our company is actually australian uh via something called a backdoor merger which i'd be yeah. happy to answer questions it's not phallic yeah. in nature at all <laughs> so surprise, surprise i keep i keep trying to tell you guys that aussies are snipers but you don't listen <laughs> So, um, so tell us a bit more about how you got in, involved in some of these projects. So you, you mentioned Killer B. Uh, what is that? So Killer B is a 802.15.4 suite of tools for attacking, sniffing, and decrypting 802.15.4 traffic. And, and Well, not quite. 802.15.4 is the Mac layer that Zigbee is built upon. So yeah. Zigbee operates almost as like, you know, TLS is operating on top of uh you know uh, tcp for example or or other protocols but uh uh six low pan which is actually a ip uh, ipv6 protocol operating over top of that so you can run a lot of different stuff across it and you can exploit those things using killer b and there are a couple of different attacks that you can leverage uh such as massive joins massive disconnects and uh, there's even a couple of uh, battery exhaustion attacks because a lot of times these things are coin cells. But uh, yeah. I started, I kind of fell into it because one of the things I really enjoyed doing when I became a penetration tester was getting sat down in front of a product. Realize I really love hacking consumer electronics devices, mostly because they're like usually pretty vulnerable, but also because sometimes you you get these like really long sort of chains to vulnerabilities and Zigbee and IoT devices kind of represent that sort of transition area between the physical and the digital worlds. So if you're hacking a door and it's a fire door, it has a lot different sort of like permanence for the people who can't get beyond the fire door. So there, there's a sort of different urgency and, and permanency to, to the things that you do when you're attacking IoT devices. So that's kind of, I think, why I got into it. Plus, it. Radios are cool as hell, and I didn't want to do Wi-Fi stuff. Uh, hey, so with uh, with the drone stuff, um, like you making use of stuff like um, like return to base when they sort of when they lose signal, and is that kind of something that you try and control? So anything that the operator can do, we try to implement that ability in the product, and we try to reverse engineer it. Um, so if you can, through the, like a disconnection event to occur, such as return to home, we might be able to, to leverage that or replay that message or make you think that it's disconnected and returning home. Nice. So 
I guess, what is your sort of approach when you start developing exploits for things like Zigbee or for drones? I mean, like, so, like, what kind of tools do you use? Um, what kind of approaches do you take that is, I guess, similar or different in a way to, like, more traditional, like, web application or network pen testing? Sure. Um, in the early stages, I would, I would say that it's actually a lot like doing your OSN research for a target when when you're a penetration tester attacking a traditional target you're you're going out you're going to um you know github and you're going to implement this protocol perhaps and you're looking for clues and, you, and you're trying to say okay well what c code can i you know kind of crib off of from the microcontroller to build what i need to build but uh, a lot of times you don't have that especially if it's some proprietary link like um I believe one of the challenges at the, the CTF two years ago was hacking the eTech City remote uh, power switches. And there was some stuff out there, but I wanted to kind of go in a different direction and see how fast I could do it by, by trying not to look at some of that stuff. Basically, fire up two tools, and that is Osmocom FFT, because that is a great tool for recording spectrum from your software defined radio, be it the HackRF or the uh, UHD devices as such as Edis products. And mm -hmm. you can start recording that second tool called Bodline. And Bodline or in Spectrum, either one, uh, Bodline allows you to kind of visualize that spectrum, allows you to see the waveform, get specific timing for BOD. And you can start to break apart the protocol and you can say stuff like, oh, okay, this is a frequency shifting pro protocol. This is a this is OFDM. And once you start understanding what the modulation types are, you can start going out and looking for the parameters for the modem that you're about to build. In a lot of cases, you're going to see the cheaper stuff is going to use FSK. Why? FSK is a very uh, noise-resistant and cheap technology that you can put and get in uh, many chips. Uh, infamously, the, the ChipCon chip series from TI uh, implements a few different kinds of FSK protocols. This is, uh, you might actually get, be, be wanting to buy a ChipCon chip, such as the RFCAT, which is another in, like absolutely invaluable tool. If you're trying to do any sub-gigahertz protocol uh, in the 915 megahertz range, you need to buy an RFCAT because you're probably going to be dealing with a narrow bandwidth FSK signal, and the RFCAT can not only demodulate that, but just give it to you plain over uh, Python and kind of makes that work go really fast. Once you get your modem parameters and you get a way to sort of modulate it, you start plugging that stuff into the mathematics of GNU radio. And it gets really complicated from, <laughs> from there because there's a lot of mathematics involved. But if you do have something like the RFCAT, then bing, bang, boom, suddenly you get packets out. I rules. So that's like that's how I feel like you you really summed it up really well um, for something that's very complicated um, in a lot of ways as far as just being able to identify signals and um, just sort of parsing this data. Because for the average person, I mean, even for me, and I've played around with radio a tiny bit, it exceeds lots of data and it's just like overwhelming. There's so much noise in the air. So how how do you I guess like hone in on different signals, especially in like some of the like ranges like 2.4 gigahertz where there's a lot of stuff around there. Like what do you sort of use to be able to um, pick out signals you want and 
go from there. <laughs> so, so if you got a big boy budget, you get something which is basically your microwave. You get a Faraday cage, right? And you and you put your stuff in there, and they come with all sorts of uh, toroidal chokes and magnetic chokes and stuff like that to limit in, inbound signals. So you get in a nice, quiet environment. This costs thousands of dollars. If you just have a hack RF and uh, you know your target, you might want to do something like uh, get a attenuator from uh, from Amazon. Actually, sells these, and you can get different kinds. But you need an attenuator, by the way, because you're going to directly attach the device you want to test and radio and you do not want to blow up the preamp on your on your software defined radio or your or your LNA rather. So you're gonna attenuate the signal using a $50 so that you you don't blow anything up on the other side, but you're gonna directly connect your target to your software defined radio using a nice shielded cable. And then you get a much better idea of okay all the noise is, is very much attenuated. It's a lot closer to the noise floor. And the only thing that should be popping up is your target signal, plus or minus some harmonics from that, plus or minus some leakage from stuff like the LO, plus or minus you know some really strong background signals, like if you live right next to a FM broadcast station or something like that. That's how we do it at, at the office, is basically we just take that drone controller, pop the antenna off of it, plug in something that's got an SMA connector on the end of it, directly attach the radios, and then start hunting through this, the frequency spectrum. And you also do stuff like, if, if it's got one, you see number on it, and it says in the FCC license, like, hey, this thing transmits at 2.4 gigahertz. And you, and you can infer a lot of details about the device's operation utilizing that. But you got to be careful. You can't just rely on that because there's like a $500 fee that these companies can pay, and they can keep their their data confidential. So if you're Apple, you're not you know giving out the details of how all of your RF stuff works to competitors and stuff. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, buying like like big boy budget Faraday cages. Um, what about for small boy budget Faraday cages, like a bag of chips? So like uh, I know like I've made one out of like a cardboard box and a glue stick and some some foil. Like um, I tried doing exactly what you did. I, we went out and we bought some chicken wire, and um, we and it wasn't chicken wire. It was much more fine than that. But you know what I'm talking about. Bought some yeah. some wire mesh and wrapped up cardboard box, and it wasn't good enough. So we took some foil and we wrapped it. And it wasn't good enough. We kept and we kept going, kept going. Didn't really work too great. Uh, they sell these almost that are uh, that make RF shielding tents buy them and they're only like a hundred or two hundred dollars but they do a really really good job of attenuating wideband like noise and so you can just kind of um, drape this cloth over it i have a i was looking into these these shielding um fabrics that you can buy carbon shielding all kinds of stuff and i found some information that suggested that um that seawater that salt water but particularly seawater is really really good at shielding and wet clay is also quite really helps us in a high tech environment. But if you want to make a cheap Faraday cage, I mean, Put it under submarines, your bathtub. <laughs> submarines go under salt water, right? Or... They do, and they have to use very, very, very low high energy signals to communicate with the outside world when they want to be wireless. Well, then, now we know. 
we need to look for very, very low high energy signals. And the wavelength of those signals is like um, measured in mountains. All the all the best data centers in the world are clearly like in under undersea locations, like Sea Lab at the bottom <laughs> of the ocean somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, no, that's really interesting. There's so much like to it. I mean, I've seen like anechoic chambers and all the crazy other stuff that you have if you're really doing RF testing things. But I mean, it seems like if you're doing something say like tactical, you're doing like sort of even like a like a combat mode of. Uh, you know, disabling drones or doing some other sort of radio warfare. There's a lot more to it, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, I think I think something. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you you mentioned that um, one of the things I think is really a huge turnoff to more people getting involved in this is the budgets, because if you if you don't have you know six hundred dollars to buy the the hack RF and the radio attachments and the and the cables and all that stuff. It's very like overwhelming to to purchase all this stuff at once, but uh, for those listening that really want to get involved in in doing radio stuff, like go, go out get the RF cat evaluation kit, get the yardstick one, and uh, get these these chip con chip radios, the, the Uber Tooth. Yeah, if it's it's a really good idea to start with like a an all in one kit like an Uber Tooth and spend the money until you learn how it works, and then you can put it together yourself for cheap. Like with components from Alibaba, once you <laughs> understand it at a low level. But you know, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get it much cheaper, but you can do it. Hopefully, as you learn, you start getting better at electrical engineering, you can knock something together out of stuff you have laying around. I would even suggest actually just give me even cheaper than that. Just get yourself like an RTL SDR from Amazon, the one with actually the Tesco oscillators. Oh, uh, yeah. Definitely a lot nicer. And just literally just buy our Arduino components and code it yourself. There's been some projects where it pretty much actually just figured out you can do like a $2 solution instead of actually buying a uh, CC1111 cable USB device like the RFCAT. Um, oh yeah, there's definitely a lot to getting into it, as you guys are saying, the budgets and trying to get stuff. I mean, like, I, I have an RTL SDR. That's what I've used for my all of my radio stuff. But it's still good, you know, it's got me interested in a lot of different things. So. It's cool to see um, that there are really cheap solutions to get you into stuff. Um, but so, I guess from your perspective, uh, Cryptos, what are some of the sort of biggest vulnerabilities that you see with wireless protocols? Um, or what are, I guess, can you kind of walk us through the sort of like discovery process and like what those mean? I mean, if we, we can, I guess, for, you know, computer things directly, we, we, we know about CVEs and, and phone classes, but what are some of the phone classes that are in? I mean, <laughs> take yourself back to the early 2000s and welcome to the state of most radio security. <laughs> um, yeah. It really is quite poor because uh, at least when we talk about stuff like IoT and consumer electronics devices, the idea is to get the margins thin. Or, I'm sorry, to make the margins fat by making the costs thin. Mm -hmm. So. You, you are going to look at a radio chip and you're going to say, well, as an AES engine, but, you know, that's five cents more expensive. And over the course of the millions of devices I'm going to make, man, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I'm going to have to pay some programmers to figure out how to use the engine. And then we're going to have to make all this code to share the key. Let's just roll our own crypto. 
And then you get into these situations where, you know, you're making these obvious mistakes of rolling your own crypto or, or just saying, oh, we won't use crypto. Who, who's going to have an, another device that can speak this protocol? Yeah. We'll, we'll use a really weird modulation scheme. No one will be able to configure anything for, to talk to this, so, so it won't be a problem. And so lots of, lots of times people just say like, oh, well, the, the serial number is good enough. And when you talk about like really simple radio links like point to point, that's usually all it is. It's just some regular preamble, just one zero one zero one zero one zero one zero, followed by a header that just contains the serial address of the device that you want to talk to. And that's all it takes to communicate to it. One valid yeah. communication, you can kind of guess at what the rest looks like. And with with stuff that gets more complicated, when we talk about stuff like mesh networking or uh, re repeat messages, um, it's overly complicated in a lot of cases. And that's why you see sometimes a lot of, of the Zigbee device vendors and the 802.15.4 vendors won't even implement the whole spec. A common problem, like people go and they start using Killer B. They're like, "Oh, th this tool doesn't work. It's broken." But no, th the device just chose not to implement this message. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say the most common vulnerabilities are, you know, rolling your own crypto, not using crypto, having very simple access schemes with no message validation, and uh, having just in general like no message, no format validations. People yeah. think when they make it, oh, like no one will ever be able to use this but us because you don't have the hardware. Not not knowing like, oh, there's these software-defined radios available for anybody to buy for you know a couple hundred dollars to transmit and receive. It, they think they're fine, and they're not. Hmm. No, I mean, that makes sense, especially because when you think about it, I mean, it's the same reason that IoT devices themselves have big bones like these that are from the 90s, like where there are, it, it's mainly like cost cost and as well as just investing in R&D in general um, is the reason why a lot of their stuff just is like, oh, why is there no, uh, why is it just if you connect to JTAG, it just drops you to root shell? Or why is it that, like, you know, why there's, there's so many different random little things that, that you can see from a price perspective why it makes sense, but from a security perspective, or, you know, it does not make any sense at all. So, And some of these vulnerabilities, uh, I alluded to this earlier, can become very difficult to fix because if you find a vulnerability in something like Bluetooth 4.0 in the key exchange mechanism, mm -hmm. uh, that that happens. We told you about this and you released the spec anyway. Now you got to release a whole new version of the spec. Yeah. And so you have to wait for device uptake. Normally, in these small devices, have a way to just reflash the firmware because I mean that that affects your bottom line when somebody bricks something and it's like, hey, that's your fault. Of cases, you know, you you find these vulnerabilities, and that's that that's there forever. And there's no way, like, and if you find it in a protocol like Zigbee, it could stick for a really long time. Like, how how long have we been dealing with 802.15? Uh, excuse me, 802.11 vulnerabilities like the deauthentication attack. They they still have not had 802.11 W. Yeah, deauth attacks, but people don't use it. Yeah, I mean, definitely slow to roll out stuff. I mean, a lot of devices are going to be supported for many years, especially depending on the application. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess, do you have any sort of advice, I guess, for people who are designing radio stuff? 
that you would like to share or any big things? Like, um, I guess, tips? <laughs> um, I would like to know, where do you, what, what's your go-to book and where do you go online? What's a good online community to learn this? For the Zigbee book, uh, I'll have to consult my Amazon uh, here, but there, there's this really good handbook about the 802.15.4 spec. Sat down and, and I read the book. Uh, is it written by Travis Goodspeed? No, but he's off anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, speci but spe specifically Zigbee. I mean, he wrote like uh, ZBD framework or whatever back in the day, right? I have the book right here in front of me right now. Sorry to pop in, but it's actually a Zigbee wireless network and chain receivers. Actually, Cryptos, you recommended that book when I started actually uh, learning about all this. And I have to say, that was actually probably the most useful book I ever had in my life. Which book is that? It's uh, created by uh, Neutrons. It's a Zigbee wireless networks and transceivers. It's like a red outline book. And the author is? One second. Let me actually get the data. But it's like a $70 book, and honestly, it's worth it. It even has some pretty good information about just normal hardware implementation. So it kind of branches off into other aspects of wireless uh, technologies. But highly recommend it. Yeah. One second. Uh, that's the pan the pan side of things, I guess. Uh, what about the just the drone side of things in general? Um, no books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But and but if, you, if, if you write if you write one, you're going to get a visit from somebody pretty quickly. So <laughs> you say that. I know this. We have we have meetups in Australia. I know in the major cities we have like meetups of students at the major universities that hack on drones all the time. Uh, I don't know if other countries are like that or whether we're just particularly interested in that kind of stuff here, but... Um, no, I mean, DEF CON yeah. uh, last year had a had a small little challenge some company put on to, to hack a drone, and it ended up being... A, a, it was a HubSan uh, A107 chip, uh, which is a clone... By the way, can't get this out enough. Like, pretty much everything out there is a clone of the Nordic uh, NRF2401 <laughs> so you want to you want to learn how to hack some some radio stuff? Just get a couple of those Nordic uh, NRF twenty four hundred one chips and start messing around with your with your Zigbee and your software defined radio. But um, it, Mike Osman, in addition to to this Zigbee book, um, Mike Osman has great tutorials. And uh, if you actually sit are sitting down and trying to do the math, uh, Khan Academy. I think it's pretty important to um, to get across the, the pan stuff for the whole smart grid future that we're moving into slowly but surely. I mean, drones are just part of it, but, you know, smart meters in your house, smart fridges, et cetera, um, they're all using these low-power localized networking technologies, um, especially the smaller, like you saying before, the smaller devices that are, that are battery-powered. It's all low-power stuff. They're not going to be they're going to be using 802.11 Wi-Fi. Um, so I think it's important in general to drones are a cool a cool way to play with this stuff, but there's a lot of other little gizmos and gadgets that are going to be using this in the future. Absolutely, and and actually, Zigbee is not too common for drones. Uh, it does exist, but it's not the the protocol of choice. Um, I mean, if you want to talk more about Zigbee, I mean, what a complicated in terms of FIs. Uh, there's only a few devices that you can easily buy which perform the sub gigahertz versions of zigbee and 
I've only ever encountered um, roll roll your own versions of Zigbee. I've never actually seen official Zigbee. <laughs> I've seen uh, proprietary sort of like Zigbee, 802, 14, 15, whatever. Uh, but it's proprietary and we're not going to tell you anything about it. You've got to black box test it. Uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a problem coming from the security pen testing point of view is that a lot of times the vendors that engineer these things aren't really willing to give me source code or anything like that. Um, where sure, I mean, it, it's so, so difficult to get promiscuous mode hardware working for sub gigahertz uh, Zigbee devices. And uh, it, it's been a, a big challenge. And I've been talking to uh, Mike Kershaw, or Dragorn. Kismet, how about that? <laughs> I've been talking yeah. to him about uh, finding some, some good devices for doing sub gigahertz Zigbee. And I think one of the reasons why is because most of the vendors just want to do the uh, worldwide ISM band, 2.4 gigahertz. But there's there's this device, if you guys want to get more into doing this, it's called the Sewo Open Sniffer. It's a little expensive, as most good tools are, but it does everything. It does the Chinese version. It does the sub-gigahertz version. It does multiple different phi standards of Zigbee. And it can do stuff like uh, continuous wave transmit. It can do promiscuous mode. It dumps it right into Wireshark for you. Everything is taken care of for you. And the chipset that it uses is uh, very f adaptable and flexible. And we were actually looking at that as being the basis for a sub gigahertz version of Killer B. And I believe actually I saw a patch not too long ago that improved some support in uh, sub gigahertz uh, Killer B as well. Can you link that uh, the tool just so we can actually uh, put it on our show notes later? Because I'm actually kind of really interested in that. Uh, getting that now. Well, of course, later. But thank you. Oh, oh yeah, Phil, if you post this in the uh, chat as well, check it out. So, do you have any um, other projects or anything that you want to discuss that you've been working on? Um, my most recent one, um, about ZMAP <laughs> and, uh, promptly started scanning the internet for stuff. And, uh, there is a lot of interesting message protocol passing algorithms out there that don't require authentication. Yes. You can immediately just see where that goes and you can get lots of cool data that way. A lot of people are, are uh, phones to this specific one and uh, constantly dumping out their GPS positioning information on their phones. Really? Yeah. And this is like completely voluntary for some reason. <laughs> uh, how, are, how is that? You guys, how is it actually being passed out? Like what sort of protocols are they using to send out GPS data from the phone? how to navigate this uh, effectively um there, there is a protocol which is used for for the message passing and it's a uh version of amqpp it's like an implementation mm -hmm. of that and so it just it periodically will report its position so if you come along and you scrape it uh, and subscribe to all the channels you can just sort of start picking up on and there was actually a defcon talk about this uh two years ago um uh, specifically about one of them called MQTT. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Statistics about this. And I was actually, uh, I contacted the guy behind Gray Noise uh, for some statistics about who else is looking at this kind of stuff. And it's kind of eye opening. Well, there's, there's a fair number of uh, <laughs> development, we'll, we'll say, uh, implementations of this out and open that you can subscribe to and you can get some interesting data like. Uh, the position of like a, a couple thousand fake taxi cabs in China. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you, you know, there's a like, look, if, if this can find a ton of potato farms using nothing but uh, RDP, you can find some pretty interesting stuff using MQTT. Yeah, definitely. That's using a lot of different applications. Like, I even see that on like Instructables or like. Hackaday or you know different little projects you can use that, and and a lot of those instructions don't tell them uh, <laughs> the people how to uh, actually put authentication in it. Yeah. And so w when they don't have a NAT, that becomes <laughs> becomes a big problem. Uh, so I've actually been looking at that uh, and also looking at adding support to uh, Kismet for Killerbee, and uh, as well as some other wireless that can be controlled, such as the RF cat and stuff like that. Um, besides that, I'm also, I mean, bugs. <laughs> what kind of bugs? Good stuff. So, oh, okay. There was a cool bug in, um, about it, so I'm going to just stop right there. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, I don't know, Pike, do you have any specific radio questions? I know that you have a lot more technical knowledge about radio stuff that I wasn't sure if you wanted to bring up. I'm trying to keep this at a level where I'm not sitting here actually geeking out, just doing live math on the air. But just uh, kind of just starting out, I'm, I have an idea of already the answers, but I want to hear it from you too. But when you were talking about doing closed link setups, like literally a, connecting a tandem shack to a tandem shack, uh, what are some recommendations? Like, what numbers would you look for, and like, what intenuations uh, for those little devices? Like, what do the dBs mean? So people don't actually, yeah, blow up their radio. I mean, those hacker Fs cost about three hundred bucks, and we don't sit there and fry it by accident. You got any uh, more detail about that? Yeah. Uh, first, let me say that more is better. Always, always more is better because you can't break your your shit if you've got too much attenuation. Um, you generally want to start out with uh, an understanding of how your hooking up is but if you start with something like 60 db of attenuation that's it's a lot of attenuation and correct me if i'm wrong i am not an electrical engineer but it's something like every 3 db that you attenuate is half the elect like the electrical power received yes either half or doubling depending if you're going up or down db but yes you're right so so if you're attenuating you're you're taking out half the power every time you add 3 db so you have something like a 30 dB of attenuation, you know, you're really knocking that down a lot. So you want to generally have like a, uh, a 3 dB, a 6 dB, a 10 dB, and maybe even a 20 dB attenuator. And uh, if, you know, you're going to tight budget, I would just grab a 6 and a 3 because that, that's 9 dB that's knocking it down by a fair bit. Yeah, you need some... Go ahead. No, personally, when I'm actually uh, doing uh, ISM band, usually they're kind of maxed out at one uh, watt each uh, by the regulation. That doesn't mean they're all kind of transmitting at that, but just as a safety factor, 
usually I get like a 30 and a 10, and then I put like 40 dB, which is equivalent to lead to just math here. It's 10 times a 1,000, 10,000 uh, times less than what the output power is, so it doesn't fry the radio on the other end. Yeah, and and uh, I know that I, I get a little lazier because the, <laughs> the Edis products, which I use at work, are, are pretty resilient to that stuff. They generally don't blow up, and trust me, like we've tried. Um, so you can you can get away with a little bit more if your radio equipment is a little high quality. But in addition yep. to getting getting those um, uh, attenuators, you also want stuff like uh, SMA polarity adapters. So you're going to be dealing with products that don't have the right polarity, so you need to get yourself a nice set of, uh, you know, double-ended female, double-ended male, and uh, reverse reverse polarity adapters for SMA, and uh, maybe even go so far as get yourself some like N-type adapters. N-type, everybody's seen the SMA adapters, the stuff on the back of your Wi-Fi router that connect your antennas. There, they're the they're small. That N-type is like real big, beefy connectors that you use for like ham radio equipment. It sounds like an expensive thing to get into. It is. It, that's like the hu most hugest drawback is that, it, and that's why I get really upset, kind of like people can't get into this because they don't have that budget to, because I mean, most people aren't willing to drop like a thousand dollars on radio equipment and you, you don't have to, like you can get the RTL SDR, then you can't transmit. Yeah. But you RTL have a big boy budget. Do you have one of those Faraday cages? Just uh, connects stuff directly. <laughs> he's, just, he's just modifying like VGA adapters and using microwaves as Faraday cages, like a like a homeless hacker. I'm sure he has no budget whatsoever for any of this stuff. Productivity in my uh. office stopped for like an hour when that news article about the VGA adapter being able to be turned into a radio came out because we were like, "Oh my <laughs> yeah. god, I have to buy one right now." <laughs> yeah. Personally, I've done it myself, but dude, I'm so happy to see that happen. Anytime. It actually just kind of ties into uh, keeping cheap hardware, but I just forgot his name. One second. I mean, it's actually sell right now. Did you actually get that to work? Tested it, unfortunately. The, the one I'm closest to testing right now is the claim that you can turn the uh, 802.11ac chip on the uh, uh, Raspberry Pi 3 Plus into a TX SDR, but you can't receive with it. Hmm. For 99% for of the people listening, though, it's like, if you want to transmit, go out, get the HackRF. It's the best supported, best used, most like you know popular radio peripheral item that you can get and get into SDR. Like, you can get stuff like the Ham It Up if you want to play in Ham. Yeah, you There's should get so the Ham It Up. I do have the Ham It Up, the blue, uh, the blue thing. Right? It's a piece of metal. Uh, talking about the SDR Hammond up. Sorry, I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, it's a down converter, which means essentially it takes a chunk of spectrum from one place and slides it around to another place where your radio can actually listen to it. So it puts basically these these ham radio frequencies in a band that the HackRF can listen to, with supposedly like minimal, uh, you know. Uh, leakage and, and interference entering the signal as a result of the upconversion. So I remember the guy's name. I actually just met him at DEF CON. Uh, Troy, also known as Hard or Wave Guy on Twitter. He also is actually one of the hosts on the uh, 
uh, Hacker Warehouse. He actually gifted me this uh, $2 Zigbee device that was normally used with uh, Iris Home Automation that Lowe's has to offer. Come to find out, that thing's actually an art. That's actually a Zigbee dev kit in USB form. Yeah, uh, and uh, Dot Slash, uh, who we hooked you up with, who's actually one of my coworkers uh, at Department 13. Uh, he can hook you up real hard with that with that uh, stuff too. Oh no, he, he, he used that kit. He sent it off today. I gotta I gotta owe him a big favor. I'm already building some antennas for him, so he can pretty much like share the wealth and pass it forward. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward to actually see if you're actually getting the setup, and definitely gonna talk more about like how we can actually implement this with the. Uh, killer B project. So we just have another cheap device for poor kids like myself can figure this out. And, and thankfully killer B has this really uh, kind of elegant driver subsystem. So we should just need to figure out how to implement the interface and should just fall into place. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, so I'm running out of radio questions to ask um, specifically. Um, I guess besides, like, what are some of the weirdest things that you have just seen, I guess, with commercial products? Commercial products, um, a lot of times, because they're cutting those corners for cost, you are going to spend a lot of time writing a really good modem. And you're like, cool, this is good enough. I can demodulate packets and I can talk like move further away or closer to the device and everything starts falling apart and like your timing is off and your symbols are garbage and like all of a sudden you're like you're looking at the spectrum and everything's different and you're like well what changed and it, a lot of these cheaper devices just leakage all over the place so as you get like closer to it for example you have to deal with the fact that you can actually watch the uh lo and uh, actually see the chip like power up and, and charge the amplifier. Figure out how that, oh, there's some like weirdness going on and you can actually watch like the, the silicon of the chip ramp. And that's actually something that I, I've heard some people tell me uh, that the spooky guys do. They actually look at this chip act when it's like turning on how does this chip act when it first jumps to a frequency and and like all these things are leaking out into the spectrum from from the local oscillator and from the mixer and stuff like that and it can if you look at stuff like imp algorithms that are implemented in fpga you can actually look at how the mathematics signal being built are working and you can fingerprint developers about how they implement the modulation and you can figure stuff out like that. So, so there's a lot of these sort of like design decisions that can leak into the commercial hardware that you can use to fingerprint. Like, oh, this device must be this manufacturer because only this manufacturer like prearms the local oscillator such and such before the the actual preamble of the chip fires. Yeah. So, so that that is actually some some of the cooler things that you can do once you can start messing around with looking at the spectrum. That's really cool. That's like the, what people do with with um, you know, fingerprinting developers for commercial software in general. So it's, it's cool to see that from that perspective because I feel like the, the sort of fingerprinting that you have to do, especially if you're like somebody who um, like tracks like shortwave stations or tracks like whatever, like the fingerprints of data that would normally be similar to other data sources, it, you know, you'd be able to track like 
I guess, what types of devices are sending out that data based on those kind of fingerprints. Yeah, and I've been invited into into rooms with these, you know, multi-billion dollar defense companies, and they make products that, that do nothing but use AI to uh, do what's called feature extraction and extract these features, these unique fingerprints of the operation of these devices out and catalog them and alarm on them and use them to identify things. That's really cool. That's similar to, like, you know, any sort of other network intrusion or or you know packet sniffing whatever kind of things you want to do um because yeah i mean that's that's really cool <laughs> um so yeah i guess what do you see or what sort of future things are you uh, interested in working on interested in learning more about uh ofdm which is a much more complicated modulation scheme that wi-fi uses which is capable of transmitting a lot more data because it has many many more carriers Mm -hmm. And it has a very complex, uh, or can have a complex forward error correction scheme. Satellites, but one thing that's especially intriguing to me, because I, I kind of had the have the hardware laying around, is doing uh, radio telescope stuff, and actually yeah, building yeah. images out of the, the once I get off off the SDR. And there was a post on Hackaday where somebody actually like used a HackRF or something to. I have received Wi-Fi packets and then like mm -hmm. overlaid them on an image. Like I was like, man, that is so cool. That's just how like radio telescopes work. I want to, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I really dig all the really crazy, crazy stuff for radio. It's, it's definitely been way over my head for a while, but I've been. But luckily, we have people like Pike who hang out with us and tell us all the weird uh, antennas. <laughs> yeah, and the awesome antennas and antennas. Keep in mind, there is a lot of math. I'm a dummy. I usually just kind of use a lot of calculators and use everyone else's notes. So don't get discouraged by it. There's plenty of stuff even the physicists who actually invent the stuff don't know about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so cool. I mean, Kripos, do you have anything else, uh, I guess, that you'd want to share before we um, end this real quick? Um, you know, if you're really looking to get into this, uh, start with Mike Osman's videos and uh, just ask a ton of questions uh, about on any of the SDR-related uh, chat channels, wherever you are. Do you guys have a stack exchange? Do you guys have a Slack? Stack exchange. Both. Uh, specifically in relation to what? SDR stack exchange is there is there like a uh, uh, okay I get you but I have never checked <laughs> are there any other SDR groups like meetups or online groups or discords or anything that you yeah. like to get out there with the good communities <laughs> um, I highly recommend cyber spectrum uh, the USAC there's actually a really popular one over in Australia believe it or not that's actually still active but before uh, Brent, that other Aussie, I just probably just said his name wrong, but he actually did the, the Siren hack. He's actually another Aussie. He used to work for um, for Edis Research for a little bit, but he used to actually hope Cyber Spectrum, but they still have all their videos on YouTube, and there's actually a lot of good people talking about their projects. <laughs> That's cool. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, so how, how can people hit you up if they have any, uh, uh, or get in contact with you if they have any additional questions about this kind of stuff, cryptos? Available to answer questions over email. Uh, my email account address is b r y a n h a l f at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at c r y p t zero s cryptos, and uh, I mean I, I'm pretty I'm pretty available as long as you're not a dick. I'll answer your question <laughs> if I can, or direct you to to others much smarter than I. As I I still say I'm radio stupid. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us um, and uh, sharing all of your, your knowledge. This is really cool stuff, and can't wait to look uh, more at some of the projects you've been working on. <clears throat> but um, everybody, thanks for okay. joining us. Um, we will be back on next Tuesday with uh, Zuff Zuff's Defensive Automation Jamboree, uh, where Zuff, here right. earlier, is going to be talking a bunch about his uh, blue team automation and general blue team tactics um, so awesome. yeah so um yeah check us out um we'll be we're, all our videos are on youtube or if you're watching on youtube or on twitch and we are also on patreon and we got some cool supporters and some cool things thanks to uh harmony and uh no cookies for uh supporting us um we're going to be putting that stuff straight into some cool projects and also into our very soon upcoming uh, 24-hour CTF marathon that we're going to be doing in November. So uh, we're planning that out, and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks. All right. Bye. Thanks, Cryptos. Thanks, Cryptos.